Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. Danny, we're back. Uh, of actually episode number 36. We're really excited. This is the third dozen of episodes and we've it's got... It's a new decade, although I don't know if we want to start that controversy okay. again. Okay, well, I'll just play along. It's a new decade yes. and uh, and say that we've got a really, really exciting guest star uh, and that's Terry Gurton from the uh, National Academy of Public Administration. She is the um, uh, the Grand Poobah, is that what you call it? The president. Call it? President. The president. President. Yeah. President. Close. Okay. Okay, that sounds much more. Add that to my business card. Yeah, it sounds much more National Academy of Public Administration call you a president rather than a grand poobah. Yes, and Terry's also a longtime government, federal government person, and she bleeds government. Right. So so this is the perfect podcast. Federal blue. All at federal level. All at the federal level. Yeah. Where were some of those? Just just to establish your tremendous bona fides. Where were some of those? Where did you serve? Where were well, some? Well, I you? spent 20 years on active duty as an army officer, and then when I retired, I mean, you could just stop there. That's I know. great. It's already Thank impressive. You. Well, it, you know, I was honored to serve, but the army was also um, a great place to learn and grow and get exposed to lots right. of different things. Um, and then after I retired, I converted over to the senior executive service in DoD, mm-hmm. and I did that for about mm, nine and a half years. Okay. Uh, and then I took a short break and did some civilian consulting in Washington, D.C., and then I uh, got a political appointment to the Department of Labor as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Veterans Employment and Training. Oh, wow. Um, and so I had, uh, you know, so just... thematically very much in the yes. defense space. Yes. Very much in the defense yes. space, but a huge learning opportunity, switching from DOD to labor. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then uh, at the end of that assignment was able to transition over to the National Academy. But I, I think the, um, the, the most important aspect of the defense space is, is really the people space. Yeah. One of the things I admire the most about the Defense Department is this idea of um, building capability within people, bringing them in at a, at a, at a very, very basic level and, and then building them right up to the general officer corps and to deputy assistant secretaries. And you know, you're giving me an idea for a future podcast because I agree and I think the Defense Department is a fascinating organization. It's yeah. the largest organization right. in the world. It has this incredible history, this incredible culture. Right. And, like um, Michelle Flournoy or someone we should get to. Yeah, someone like that. If she's or maybe listening. even a panel yeah. um, to really kind of talk about right. DOD and break it down in a more kind of you know, pr- practical way so people can understand it. So I think in some people see it as it's an enigma in certain ways in terms of what goes on inside the Pentagon. Yeah. So that would be I, interesting. But I think it's the in many ways the perfect preparatory career path for what you're doing now. It gives you all kinds of experience. It gives you great leadership experience. My specialty was in maintenance, so I learned a lot about um, customer satisfaction sure. in yeah. that, that space. Maintenance of like equipment maintenance or real property? Of equipment. Equi- yeah. equipment. Okay. Um, and then transitioned over to resource management. So all of those arcane uh, programming and budgeting processes awesome. in the Department of Defense. Um, yes. So we right. love arcane here. Well, right. there's a lot of arcane. Yeah, literal yeah. We, we, we specialize in arcane. 
Yeah. It's the, it's it's the, I love the pipes and wires and the plumbing yeah. stuff. So you're literally doing that. That's and that's what I was doing um, towards the end was managing the future year's defense program for DOD. Mm. And it's all pipes and wires in the back, right? Right. About how you pull all that, all so, that budget together. So what does NAPA do? So NAPA, the National Academy of Public Administration, is one of only two congressionally chartered academies. The so other it has nothing to do with wine. It has nothing to do with wine or auto parts, which a good oh, friend of mine gave really me a bumper sticker point. for. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's so Congress is only chartered two. It's us and the National Academies of Science. Okay. And our charter, which was entered into in 1984, um, so we're about 100 years younger than the National Academy of Science, um, is to provide um, government advice or advice to government agencies to help them work better. So it's all about the focus on public administration and the vision of the academy is so compelling. It's making government work and work for all. So we have this aspect of looking inside, sort of under the hood. Under the, the hood. To keep the maintenance analogy Let's going. Let's do it. About how um, government agencies at all levels, federal, state, and local, how they work, why they aren't working the best way that they should, um, and what you can do to fix that. Um, and so to do that, to deliver that capability, we bring our 950 fellows' expertise to the table. Of which we're both uh, of which I'm a fellow. I'm both of fellow. you are oh, fellows. Yeah. Both so fellows. we're very appreciative yeah. of yeah. being a part of the Napa family. Well, you are um, exemplifying the expertise that the 950 fellows have. Flattery will get you everywhere. I'm exactly. hoping for easy questions as we go on. <laughs> so how does one become a fellow? So I mean, I know, but just you remind know. me. Yeah, we have to um, pretend we're ignorant because yeah. I really did know that Napa was not about <laughs> wine, but I wanted to ask him. To become a fellow, you have to be nominated by another fellow um, and then voted into membership. Um, and so as we go forward, and I'm excited to talk about the grand challenges today, we're going to be looking for fellows who have long careers of excellence in government at any level who can bring their expertise related to these 12 grand challenges to the academy. Um, all of these relate to the kinds of work we do for different government agencies, and then that will also reinforce our delivery on the agenda of the grand challenges. So um, you're really, you really want to get to these grand challenges. That's why you're here, but we're trying yeah, to... No, it's exciting. I, I want to talk about it in particular as we launch into the grand challenges, and I've, I've learned more about it. There's a lot of similar themes yeah. in how NAPA is presenting the grand challenges externally to what we talk about on this podcast. And Absolutely. No, and, and it's, it's yeah. about people. It's about resources. It's about strategy. It's... Um, Ultimately, about policy. It's about um, how it's about how government, it, how important government is. And just just as a side note, before we go into the grand challenges, I was uh, recently um, I had an opportunity. I was meeting with Politico uh, to talk about best places to work, and it was like the day or, or two days before they sponsored a debate, the Democratic uh, primary debate, and I I mentioned to them that you know I don't think. And I've been watching the primaries. There's been a single question to any of the candidates about the fact that the president is the leader of uh, this very large government mm -hmm. and to talk about their vision for how government would operate. And they said they'd think, of, you know, it might have been too late, but I, they didn't ask the question. Yeah. But I'm still throwing it out there. It's very upsetting. That somebody at some point should reflect people, on the fact. $3.8 trillion, dollars. And then now that we're in this administration, right. you see how every day mm -hmm. 
the manifestation of each story comes through, or each issue comes through the underlying government, the government worker, whether it's a political appointee or a civil servant, and the management of the government keeps coming back at time and time again to be the centerpiece of a lot of the stories that are dominating the headlines right now. Well, and I think, I think, um, I think Terry, part of what you've done in your leadership of Napa is to try to point Napa at that problem, set a strategic course, and that's how you've come up with these 12 uh, grand challenges. Do you want to talk a little bit about the key focus areas, about what some of those, those big areas within or, or do you or want to I think she should start up? with what it is. Yeah, all right. Like, no, how did it come there. about? Tell us the story of... We know too much. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us the story. Well, the story starts really in 2017. Um, in 2017, we were looking at all of the different kinds of work that the Academy was doing, and we realized that there was a... You talk about the need to understand the federal government better. What we saw was a need to better understand how the federal government interacts with its partners at the state and local level to really deliver services. You know, it's there kind aren't of so, holistic. Yeah, yeah. Be, because there aren't a whole lot of federal workers like right on the front lines of service delivery. There are some big agencies, but a lot of them work through their partners at the state and local level. And so we did what we called governing across the divide. And we went out to four different areas across the country to listen to innovation that was happening. So we first went to um, California and we listened to kind of what was being innovated at the state level and how mm, the state yeah. government was interacting. And California is the lead for a lot of state um, innovation. So we learned a lot there. And then we went to Austin to hear kind of what was going on at city level. Okay. Because right? you could talk about state government in Austin as well. You could, but, yeah. mm -hmm. but we were really interested in kind of across Texas, what was the innovation that's happening in communities? They're on the front lines of immigration and tech and all kinds of things. And then we went to Syracuse um, at the Maxwell School to talk about what's the emerging thought for the role of a citizen. They're the school of citizenship. So if you're thinking state, local, what's the role of the individual in all of this? And then we came back to um, Virginia and did sort of an integrated look at infrastructure. Like what are the different roles of the federal, state, city, and individual when you think about an infrastructure agenda? And so that was really fascinating. And out of that, we said, there really is an agenda here for the academy. Um, as the national academy, we ought to be not just reacting to what people ask us, but sort of driving an agenda for the field of public administration. And that happened to coincide with the time we were setting a new strategic plan for the academy. I think it's interesting also just to pause on a moment on the fact that there is a lot of innovation going on at the state and local level. And I think, I think we sometimes miss that point and it's missed inside the beltway. Yeah. That to, to not think about the government just as the federal government, no, but so where the government's really innovating is often I got to push back level. on that. It's spending a decade in local, regional government. Push back on it? I thought yeah, you'd defend it. No, I'm saying you missed the point. I don't Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did I say we missed the point? You said we. Ah, yeah, I just want to okay. be careful. But we really did point. find that. You yeah, know, where right, government yeah. is closer <laughs> to its constituents, um, where the gap is smaller, there's a lot more creativity and a lot more um, accountability, right, in an in immediate sense. And I think that's you globally as well. There's a lot of interesting thing going on with smart cities around the world. I, I actually think, you know, a modern deregulatory agenda might actually be between the federal 
and the state and local government to allow to take the to, shackles off and to allow give them, them yeah. more room for piloting and more and I think that that's rather one than of like the, deregulating companies on OSHA or the environment. I yes, see where you're going. Exactly yeah. right. So rather than saying you can pollute as much as you want, what you, you should do is give the states and the localities more kind of flexibility in figuring out ways to minimize that pollution. Oh, that's a really but good I thought. think I think that you know. I think that that kind of feeds into what you're the work exactly. you're trying to do. So we created this idea about grand challenges in public administration, but we spent almost six months in public input. So we didn't specify what they were, but we said we want you to tell us either what government ought to do, you know, over the next ten years that would improve lives of citizens in the country, or how it ought to change what it's doing. So we gave two big categories, and then we just opened it up for public input. And we got hundreds of responses, and most of them were really pertinent. Um, and so then we created a steering committee of people from across all levels of government, science, the media, to help us understand both what the trends were coming out of that public input, but also maybe, maybe what wasn't there that mm. we, we should consider. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, I mean, just getting into some of the challenges, the the, well, at least on the sheet that I have from your, from your press release, the first one out of the gate is protect electoral integrity right. and enhance voter participation, which is obviously a very timely issue. I mean, it's like seems to be the number one issue in the news these days is whichever side you're on is the question of the integrity of the U.S. election system. Exactly. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the principal responsibility for that belongs to the states. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have a federal election commission, but securing elections is really a state government yeah. challenge. And the implementation happens at the local level. It happens yeah. at the local level. So the long and short of it is our steering committee met, our board met, and we um, decided on this list of 12, uh, and we announced it at our fall meeting last November. So we officially released the, le the list of 12, and I think it's really important to remember these are not just grand challenges, but they're grand challenges in public administration. Right. So our goal, really, over the next 10 years, we see this as a decade-long agenda, is to bring together the wide variety of people who are already working on this. Some of them think of themselves as public administrators, and some of them don't. But to help build the networks, to help share information, and to help drive change, across these 12 areas. I mean, you could have 100, but right. that would be unmanageable. So with 12, we felt like we really targeted, you know, based on the input we received, but also with our understanding kind of of the world around us, issues that will make a difference for people. And they're fairly diverse, you know, just to kind of right. throw some out there so that the people listening can get context. We mentioned electoral integrity. There's one on climate change. There's one on data security and privacy. There's one on getting the government ready for artificial intelligence. Um, and there's one on uh, modernizing and reinvigorating the public service. Right. So I assume that's thinking about the government workforce. It's thinking about the whole government workforce. Yeah. So we in Washington tend to think about the federal civil service. And that's a huge um, challenge. Again, you guys, not me. No, it's Dan a is... Right, a huge challenge. Dan has a much bigger tent than I do. Much bigger. Yeah. But we're also very um, concerned about the, the state public workforce and the local public workforce. Right. Yeah. I think, I think it would be great if there was more mobility between them as well. Right. Because then there would be better understanding of what everyone's equities were. Absolutely. Yeah. But so that's sort of how we came to the list. 
And so what happens from here? So you've got, you've got 12 priorities now, right. big challenges. Mm-hmm. Within I mean, four focus areas. Four focus areas, which are protecting and advancing democracy, of which the electoral integrity right. one came up. Strengthening social and economic development. So that's like protect, fostering social equity, building resilient communities, um, and addressing the nation's long-term fiscal health, right. which is like, you know, feels like a shout out to David Walker <laughs> and the, you know, fiscal sustainability issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then ensuring environmental sustainability. We talked about climate change. It's also about, there's also one in here about um, uh, creating a modern water system, a right. safe, safe and plentiful drinking water. And then, and then ma- managing technological changes. And we mentioned data security and, right. and managing AI. So, or getting the government ready for getting AI. Getting the government ready for so AI. So those are the four big groups feel like politics, economics, environment, technology. and technology. Yeah, yeah. pretty much so. Um, and what we're finding is people, you know, it, a traditional public administration person looks at this list first off and says, I don't see public administration here. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. then as you start to think about it, you think, well, who is making the laws? Who's writing the rules and the regulations? Who's um, developing the engagement models for the community government? Who's building coalitions around all this? It's public administration. Yeah. So part of our goal is to help the public administration community get excited about being public administrators. Yeah. Right? Because sometimes it feels like you're, you're a bureaucrat, right, in the, in the worst sense of the word. What we really want to communicate here is that public administrators have huge opportunity to impact all of this. We're not saying that you have to have statutory change, um, that you need to have a different election or whatever. There's lots of capability now if we can just think about think about what we do differently and think about how we make change with what we have. Are you, are you preaching to the choir a little bit if you're going to the public administrator rather than to the public? Well, I don't think so, partly because we're really trying to change how public administration thinks about themselves and motivate a more sort of activist approach. And as that happens, we're also talking with the public about the value of public administration, that there's things that we can all do right now to impact all of these different aspects. I mean, one that the public administration community, I think, finds a little discordant here is modern water systems. And yet the very management of our local water districts is public administration, right? How do you fund them? How do you um, collaborate across your your different districts to maybe um, collectivize so that you can fund a a water system if you're in a declining economic area? Um, What happens in the, the Valley of California, right, where water systems are getting completely polluted. What happens in Flint, Flint Michigan, or Newark, yeah. or you know, any, these kinds of places across the country? It's fundamentally and a it's public de- administration. And you're saying it's level. deteriorating, and we have to get ahead of it. We have to get ahead yeah. of it, or communities will die. Yeah, right. Communities so, will die. So why don't we take a, a break, and then when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about what happens from here. So we've got sure. these grand challenges. And how do we take it to, to the point of action? Right. So we'll take a quick break. Great. Gov Actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop, as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. Gov Actually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. 
All right, Danny, we're back. Uh, we took a nice long break. We Very walked long. around the block and uh, <laughs> got, our, got some, our steps in. Yeah, thought a little bit about these grand challenges and some tough questions for Terry. But um, uh, how do you want to kick it off? Well, I think I've, you know, as I said right before the break, I, these these grand challenges. I I agree. You could you could come up with twelve new ones and they would resonate just as much. But you got to pick priorities, and right. these certainly certainly resonate. What does success look like? going forward like you've identified them which i think is has value in terms of prioritizing and getting people and public administrators thinking about these issues what, what do you want to have happen what is napa's vision for three years from now or 10 years from now with respect to these challenges well what we hope to be able to do 10 years from now is look back and know that we made a difference by focusing on these areas so that the next question you have to ask is how do you know if you made a difference so we're really using this year to baseline all 12 of these. We want to be able to document the, the major efforts that are going on, um, the major players. We want to build the network, and we want to create those metrics so that we know how we're going to measure success. Um, we are also working internally to the Academy on some content around the grand challenges that we want to bring into the So could we spell like articles and panels? Yep. And so it's going to elevate the dialogue on these issues. Elevate the dialogue. We started a grand challenge of the month. That's a handy thing with having 12. Mm. That's really what's, good. What's the January grand challenge? The January grand challenge is ensure data security and individual privacy because mm. January 28th is International Data Privacy Day. Is, is November going to be the protect electoral? Or are you going to do that in October? November. <laughs> uh, we're doing it in October. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. um, most of November, November. yeah, right. the yeah. election's over. September right. will be um, protect the nation's long-term fiscal health because it's the, the end, end of the fiscal year. End of the nice. fiscal year. Yeah, fit into themes. I like Next this. month is um, connecting individuals to meaningful work. So as we do that, we're mobilizing our fellows. One of the wonderful things about having 950 fellows is we've got fellows aligned to all 12 of these. Mm -hmm. So we'll be having a grand challenge of the month. We'll be sharing fellows, writing, um, interviews, uh, all sorts of different publicity around them to try to elevate the dialogue. Um, we're preparing some content that we hope to share with uh, presidential candidates around what is happening in each of these 12 grand challenges at the federal level and what they might think about over the next four years about how, where they could engage immediately to make some change and drive some change. I mean, you could do a whole presidential debate just on these topics oh, yeah. and it'd be really rich. I love the one, I didn't mention it earlier, but as you mentioned, connecting individuals to meaningful work. To me, that seems to be a really, as the world is changing, our, is our education system and our training system and the way in which we're preparing individuals right. for the workforce that they're entering, will we potentially have you know, deep structural unemployment if we're not right. more thoughtful about those connectivities? And how do we establish lifelong learning? Right. You know, is a four-year bachelor's degree at you know, do you only need to go to college for four years or do we need to completely rethink mm -hmm. what our lifetime education model is yeah. so that people can be prepared? Because what we see in so many communities is individuals leave, right? And they don't come back. How can we create, and it, so that- and jobs change. Jobs like, there's change. There's so many examples like bank tellers, which was, which was, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, a major occupation right and now it's well, even tax preparers there's much because of turbo tax even tax preparers uh, well you know <laughs> <laughs> says the irs commissioner exactly. but that's um, you know so many of these you then start to see are linked right so connecting individuals to meaningful work connects to building resilient communities yeah. connects to data security and privacy yep, they're linked right so 
So we do have these 12 conceptual areas, but as you start to really dive down into them, you see all of the connections that can be made between them. So it's going to be a fascinating but set of conversations. I, I think uh, going back to the kind of the, the original question that kicked off, how do you measure success in these areas? There are, there are some like uh, create modern water systems for safe and sustainable use, which I think is like an oddly very specific one. Yep. That's and the one that caught my eye yeah, in terms of like, I could think of there, a, there uh, must not have that, been yeah. someone on the panel who was all about water. I yeah. was not going to, was not going to let this thing proceed unless it was mentioned. Well, in truth, you know, we, we talked a lot about infrastructure investment and, yeah. right. And you know, yeah. that's a national conversation that's been going on for a long time, but we felt like, infrastructure as a whole thing right. was just way too big right we've and covered so, several infrastructure weeks i think uh, yeah. last year we did on yeah. gov actually or the administration it feels actually, like every week is, actually, is infrastructure we didn't, week didn't we do a couple of we've different done infrastructure yeah. so, so we, we solved tr it we tried to <laughs> figure out you know what part of infrastructure would we be able to have the most impact on and if we did could set the stage for how you might have impact in the other areas. So oh, you that's talked, interesting. You could have yeah. talked about the power grid. You could right. have talked. Bridges, roads. Ro right, bridges, yeah. roads, all of those kinds of things. But what really hits people where they live? If you don't have clean water, you're not yeah. going to live there. Right. Yeah, it's right? interesting. You healthcare, education, housing, not on the list. Unless I'm misreading it. Not Although explicitly. Although probably implied in, in a lot of them. Implied in resilient communities. Mm -hmm. Implied in social equity. Yes. Right. But but so on the on the modern water systems for safe and sustainable use, we actually have some standards that the EPA has uh, has offered. So that would yeah. actually be something you can measure progress against. Right. Yeah. Uh, foster social equity is probably something you could spend a lot of time debating what it even means. Yeah, because I was going to mention like I like when I sit back and I when I think about some of the top issues that seem to dominate the national agenda. The ones that jump to mind are climate change, immigration, gun control, and healthcare. And I just and at the local level, housing. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, depending on the place, water. If you're in Flint, you know. So flip, foster social equity and have inequity at the end of oh, it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. What do we Because then, hear? do you get into immigration as an it's, issue it's, at that I point? Think it, I we're, think it is the same. Thing. What we're trying yeah. to say is, social equity is really broad, and right. it's racial, and it's gender, but it's educational, and it's mm -hmm. income, and it's geographical, and it's technological. Yeah. Yeah. And so, when you're thinking about your public administration policies, are you thinking about them with an eye to the impact on equity? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I say it. I meant it as a compliment because I think the point is is that we sometimes find ourselves in the moment getting into a siloed set of right. issues mm -hmm. when the reality is is that the challenges that government have are much broader than that. Right. So if you would have listed the top four, yeah. if you would have come up with immigration, gun control, climate change, and health care, that would have been like, yeah, of course, because right. that's what everyone's talking about right now. But this list is, I think, more thoughtfully constructed to hit a lot of other elements that are that are important as There's well. There's another one that you haven't mentioned specifically, which is advancing national interest in a changing global context. Mm -hmm. And we think this one is really, really important. It's a little hard to get your head around, but a lot of our political conversation is about what happens inside the boundaries, right, of the national, you know, borders. 
or on the opposite sides of those. And so many of the challenges that we're dealing with are not respecters of borders. Right. You have health, look, just look at the coronavirus right now. Right. It is no respecter of geographic boundaries. Border, right. right? Border, trade, intellectual trade, problem. air pollution, ocean pollution, um, all of those kinds of things. So how do we think about growing a generation of public administrators that can operate in that international context? Yeah, and diplomacy. And diplomacy. You know, and, and the, you know, I think a lot about the State Department and its future and how, how these challenges that we're seeing are impacting it. And so I know, again, it's a federal lens, but there, I think right. it's very important. So Yeah, again, you know, those... But that that federal policy has direct impact on on the state and local level. I mean, right. you looked at that when I worked at GSA. We did a lot of work on the border, on and you know the the amount of individual state GDPs that were dependent on their ability to cross the border with Mexico and right. you know, uh, trade over the border with Mexico and Canada is incredibly high. So if you're looking at meaningful work, even social equity, because you have um, uh, the economic capacity to, to you know, um, overcome some of these issues, long-standing issues, it means being able to advance the nation's long-term yeah. uh, <clears throat> uh, uh interest within right. a global, changing global. You know, Dan, I'm thinking through this list and thinking, like, have we covered a lot of this on Gov? Actually, I think uh, we have some work to do. Oh, we do. We covered a lot well, of this. We'd love to have you set this as your agenda. And, you know, just you know, right 12, before we, we started. We need to know the calendar. And I'll say right before we started taping, we've already planned out our next episode's going to be on the Impoundment Act, right. which is not on this list. So right. we've got right. a lot it's of It's related to the long-term fiscal health. Yeah, there you go. Double-click on the Impoundment Act. Yeah. So one of the other aspects to this, though, not only changing what public administrators currently do, but is thinking about how we change how we educate future public administrators. And so, you know, amongst the fellowship, we have lots of folks who are engaged in the academic side of public administration. And we think that there are some really important things to do. The first is to make public administration more interdisciplinary, mm -hmm. right? Because what we see, and you could look at any one of these, you need people who have a strong um, subject matter base, yep. but they need to understand the administration of that. You could have the best policy ideas in the world, but if you don't understand the administration process, you don't get them implemented. And I think that the other thing I'd add to that is um, the importance of, and I think this is where you're going with it, but just to clarify, connecting our academic institutions better to the challenges we have today. Absolutely. So as in government. So the, the public policy schools and the political science and all are they are they front and center in helping us solve our problems and being a part of the solution right. or are the the work that they're putting out too academic or not on point enough to influence the debates that go on in, in government. Right. Exactly right. So not only are we asking that the public administration departments connect better with other school departments, but that they add courses to their curriculum that will help public administrators have better and deeper understanding about these grand challenges. And then that they give their students government experiential learning opportunities, Yeah. right? While they're still students, get out to a state government, get out to a local government, actually do government in one of these areas so that you have an appreciation when you get to your full-time job 
about how complicated it is, but also how much of an opportunity there is. And, and how do you work with the schools of public administration? So um, many of their deans are fellows of right. the academy. Many of the faculty are uh, members of the academy. So that's our first avenue um, out. We also work with NASPA, the National Association of Schools of Public Affairs and Administration. I think yep. if I got that acronym right. I think you did, actually, which is um, impressive. <laughs> Um, ASPA, the American Society for Public Administration, and their local chapters trying to reach, um, share this information, motivate it to be part of accreditation practices, looking for schools to align themselves with some of these. And actually, the Volcker Institute is very focused on this very topic. Right. right. And so they might they be have, a good partner yep. here. And yeah. we are partnered with them in their G2U uh, initiative. Right to think about how you get students from schools of public administration directly into state and local government. So I have a, a, a you know, in our remaining time, a little bit of a curveball question, which uh -oh. is when I look at this list, it, it, it almost feels like two parts of a State of the Union speech, the second part, which is the first part is what is the State of the Union of, of government work and public administration? It's always strong. It's in this political sense, right. but, but and then the second part is okay. Now, what are what are we going to do? And this is the what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. As the head of Napa, how do you think about the state of the union of public administration? Is it strong? Is it are we at a unique inflection point of challenge that we've never been challenged before? Like, where do you see us right now? I think we're certainly challenged, right? Yeah. If you imagine sitting around the dinner table as a parent with a high school or college age child and you say, so don't you want to go work for the government? That's not going to be the first yes. thing that they tell you, right? Actually, I, Although I'd, I'd say that to my kids, but I, I I'm say that to mine too. I think, I, think, I think it's actually the parent that's the problem in that equation. I think actually more and more young folks are saying, I actually do want to have a, a engage in a career of meaning. I think so. And so what we have to do is convince them that they can do that in the government not just in a nonprofit, not just yeah. in the Peace Corps, not just in I, I think, some other way. I think the biggest challenge in my experience was not finding interested people, but actually finding a path to get them hired. And so what, so what we hope this agenda does is motivate that discussion, right? There's an opportunity for public administrators, whether you're a prospective or you're a current one, to really make a difference. Not, I mean, we always talk about the sense of mission for people who work for the government. And what we're saying is, yes, and here's how we can mobilize it. Here's how you can make a difference. Yeah. Um, and by connecting, I think the academy is uniquely positioned to connect public administrators at all the different levels of government. Yeah. Um, I, I, the reason why I ask the question is because I, I, get, I get asked a lot. You know, when I'm out, and, and especially when I'm with family or friends, and you know, I'm known as as, a, as someone who knows about government. I live in D.C. I was just out of D.C. Uh, recently, and it's like, is this the worst it's ever been? You know, and it's and that's a broader question because people look at how toxic politics and how how um, partisan our environment is, and and want to know is it has it ever? Do I think it's ever been this bad before? Whether in the history of the country or in my lifetime, and. I don't know how to answer that question because I'm not I'm not a historian and I've and I've read articles and that will say alive when Hamilton uh, was exactly and and I think everyone thinks it's it's bad but I do believe that over the course of my government career which is now exceeds twenty plus years that I feel like we are at at a uh, at a critical almost urgency around 
the types of investments that are needed to sustain a high-functioning government. Mm. That when I came in that's in the a, 90s, a, yeah, we were in a much better place, it felt, in terms of reputation, recruiting, talent base. Now things, we seem to have fallen behind. And so from my vantage point, we these challenges should be coupled with kind of a a call for action and a cry for some urgency. Well, and, and, and then even specific proposals, you know, for right. reforming the hiring process, reinvigorating the PMI yeah. program, you know, there there could be some very specific right. things. And we think that there will be, right? So as we mobilize the community, but I think to your point, Danny, it, it's always darkest, right? Just before the dawn. I think we have a tremendous opportunity. Agreed, yeah. Now is the time. It's why we call them grand challenges. It's why... You know, we yeah. feel some urgency around them, that this is the time when public administrators can really own all of the levers of government that they have their hands on and make change and make it better. Yeah. I was at a, a book event for Ezra Klein's new book on, called, about polarization in politics. Okay. And someone raised the question, is this the worst time it's ever been? And he said, well, I would like to point out that Alexander Hamilton, the Treasury Secretary, was... The former shot. Treasury Secretary was shot by the Vice President, so <laughs> so that was pretty polar. Yeah, but we got a wonderful Broadway play out of it. We did, we amazing. Did, we did. Yeah. So so I, I would. We say have that, that to look forward to. Two hundred years from now, we have now. somewhere to go in terms of that kind of polarization. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing, Terry and and Napa, to try to give people a much more systematic path to to useful and positive input into the most important work that uh, we do yeah, as a society. It's, it's, a, it's an important organization talking about and investing in really important topics for the country. And so thank you for, for, for joining Napa and for leading it so yeah. effectively. Thanks for the opportunity to share it with you guys today. Wonderful. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Terry. And, and of course, Billy, thank you for your hard work back there. Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.